You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The following podcast contains explicit language, by which we mean potty talk. It's Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And there's interesting news all around us, stemming from the pronouncements of Rudy Giuliani, wherein, in his role as legal advisor, he admitted that the president committed a campaign violation. Odd. An odd choice. We will get to that. Luckily, I have a mechanism known as the spiel. It's all so interesting. It's all, it's all a little crazy. Somewhat negative. So I wanted to flag two pretty positive developments that really aren't getting enough attention. One is the Tony Awards. So the development isn't the Tony Awards. It's not really a development. It is getting a lot of attention. That's nothing special. They are giving out, as they do every year, honorary Tonys. One goes to Bruce Springsteen. Why is he getting an honorary one? Springsteen on Broadway should be eligible. Ah, he didn't give free tickets to Tony voters, so he couldn't be nominated. And I guess it worked out because he still got the Tony. So I'd give that one to Springsteen. But the real award I wanted to highlight is an honorary award given to Ernest Windsor Cleaner. I don't know who Ernest Windsor Cleaner is. And I looked it up. It's an actual dry cleaner. The Tonys are giving an award to their dry cleaner. I want to I wanna watch an entire dry cleaning awards show. And in the category of shirt, on a hanger, no starch. On a hanger, starch. And the winner is boxed, no starch. Ah, this is in a box, no starch's 48th nomination and first win. Of course, there are only four ways to have a shirt. Of course, he's nominated every time. In the category of bullshit upcharge, suede, corduroy, silk, and rayon. But the other positive story I wanted to highlight, the ETA is disbanded. The Basque separatist movement, the ETA, are no more They are no longer Basque separatists. Now they are, if not Basque inclusionists, at least Basque, eh, what you're going to do, ists. The ETA, they have been responsible for a lot of horrible terrorist acts, and their influence was waning. Terror experts were saying that this was inevitable, it was going to happen, but they just didn't know. It wasn't a question of if, it was a question of when. So I guess you were saying they didn't have an ETA. It's hard to give up the fight, I supposed especially in this part of Spain, where there were some past successes, but I don't know, the ETA, they were just basking in their old glory. All right, now the, now the Spain and Basque region is one. High live for everyone. Now, can we just talk about those freaking Catalonians? On the show today, I spiel about Rudy, slayer of special counsels, spiller of beans. But first, if we want to really figure out how Trump works, I don't know, ask a uh, Fox News host, ask a child psychologist. I'll tell you one person we should ask, and we're going to do so. 
a management expert, someone who looks at complex systems and figures out how they operate, systems like the White House. Gotham Makunda is a political scientist and author of Indispensable When Leaders Really Matter. The Gist is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. The mortgage experience wasn't keeping up with the times. It was dated and it needed a client-focused technological revolution. That is why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's powerful. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th Rocket Mortgage is able to perform thousands of calculations in seconds. Quicken Loans apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash gist. They're an equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. If you don't listen to the Slate Political Gab Fest, you really should. Now, I think the slogan of that show should be, we don't have the most Dickerson, but we have Dickerson at his most Dickerson. And what I mean by that is, you know, John Dickerson, he's on CBS This Morning. He's on all the time. Love him there. But on the Political Gab Fest, John Dickerson is at his most Dickersonian. And I, he is my, he is my shining star. He is my northern star for such things as Bob Dylan and brown liquors. But also, Dickerson's really into leadership and theories of leadership and how leadership works. And one day on the Gab Fest, he tossed out a couple names of people he was reading who gave him insight as to leadership vis-a-vis Mr. Donald J. Trump. One of those names was Gotham Makunda. I looked it up. He's a research fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. He wrote a book called Indispensable When Leaders Really Matter, began reading some of the stuff he was writing about Donald Trump. It kind of blew my mind. Gotham gets it, and he's here with me now. Hello. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, and thanks for a wonderful introduction. The finding of that book was that you looked at presidents who were, what, what's the phrase you use, filtered or unfiltered? That's exactly right. Okay, so like a cloudy beer, the presidents who <laughs> come into the job not being, you know, steeped in dozens and dozens of years or, or decades of government, they tend to separate themselves into the best and the worst presidents, right? So obviously Washington uh, couldn't have had any government experiences experience, and he was the best, and, you know, some of the worst. Uh, Herbert Hoover, though a commerce secretary, essentially a businessman. Now, Trump comes into office and he is unfiltered. And uh, I think you're right. He is trending to be either one of the best or one of the worst. (laughs) So Trump is as unfiltered as it is possible to be in every sense of that word, but particularly in my sense of that word. And so uh, filtration is a different way of looking at experience. So when someone has experience, we often ask them, you know, what did you learn from that experience, right? That's – in thinking of experience, it's a developmental process. You get better because you had the experience. And that's important. But we forget there's a second half of experience. Experience is a revelatory process that as you undergo these experiences, other people who are watching you learn about you. Mm-hmm. And they learn what you're capable of and what you really believe. And so when you have someone who is filtered, what's happened is they've had a lot of these experiences that have revealed to other people in politics who they really are. The unfiltered leader is the person who precisely because either they don't have these kinds of experiences, so we don't know a lot about them, or they do have the experiences, but something gets them into power 
over the objections of the of the political elites who know what, who know who they are because they are very very different from the filtered leaders who normally would have the job they can do things that are different and have a huge impact and what do we know about decisions that you know i do one thing and everyone else in the world would do the other you're either genius you're either a genius or a, or a fool right there's no in the middle these people are never boring are there some sorts of unfiltered experiences that uh that correlate more to success. Ah, so you're actually you're getting directly on what I'm writing the second book on is that question. So thank you for that. What I'd say is there are unfiltered characteristics that correlate directly to failure. And if you can push if you sort of look at people who have those and say push them out, you're going to up your odds. Mm-hmm. Some part of success is just luck, right? If we knew what the right thing to do was in advance, it wouldn't take a genius to do it. We'd all do it. So some of this is just, well, it worked out. So my classic example, and this was in the this is why the first book sort of made was weirdly descriptive of Trump, is personality and psychological disorders are these things are have well, many of them have something in common, which is they create an enormously positive first impression, but generate very large long term costs. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so the yeah, the classic example of this is narcissism, right? So yeah. this is what I talked about in the book. That if you put a bunch of people in a room together and ask them to vote on who should lead the group, weirdly, they will tend to vote for the most narcissistic person in the group. Because it turns out that narcissists think they're great yeah. and you believe them. When you first meet them. Yeah, it's why so many – it's probably why so many CEOs are also sociopaths. Uh, yeah, it's, it is it was supposedly the profession in which that character trait is most overrepresented. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, over time, what we find out is that narcissists are really awful leaders. And the experience of being led by a narcissist is nightmarish and we hate it. But it takes a long time for that, for that to penetrate through the narcissistic fog of I am, I am the greatest thing who's ever lived. What about depressives now, as leaders? LBJ was a depressive. He did some yeah. really great things. So depressives, I actually I – think, I think depressives are maybe a little bit more likely to succeed because there's this weird – psychologists have a term for people who are able to accurately assess their life prospects and odds for success. And that term is clinically depressed. Yeah. It's right. It's called depressive realism. Lincoln had it too. Like he was right. We were living in terribly bloody times and and all his sons, all but one died. He was right. Yeah, he was right. And, And in fact, British prime ministers have an astonishingly high frequency of depression. Here's another one for you. Inherited wealth or more broadly, unearned advantages. Because – so we think about ex- experience again as a, as a de- revel- revelatory process. Yeah. If somebody comes from a wealthy and powerful family and then they have this amazing resume, that resume tells us less about their real underlying capabilities because every item on it was earned in part by the assistance of that wealthy and powerful family. So we just know less about someone from that kind of a family than we would if they don't come from that kind of a family. Okay, so I want to bring it to Trump because there's some aspect to Trump's personality that I think is really interesting. Oh, yeah. Essentially, they were saying a version of what you're saying, that he comes to it without the baggage and a fresh set of eyes and a new way of doing things. But the experience that he had was sold as a businessman's experience, a real estate developer's experience, and they got it wrong. That's not really what his business is. Mm -hmm. His business is personal branding and being a television personality. I could make the case that someone with Trump's supposed resume would be well-suited to the presidency. I have a much harder case making the case that someone with Trump's actual resume, and I'm not even talking about the bankruptcies in Trump University, the actual resume of how he gets his money, that seems very poorly suited to the presidency. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So 
I think a very successful business person, you know, a Bill Gates, Michael Bloomberg type, would probably be a better president than a random person. Now, we mm-hmm. don't traditionally pick random people for the presidency, right? Would they be a better president than a governor or a senator or a, or a member of the cabinet? That, I'm a lot more skeptical of that. Of that. But Trump is not that, right? He's, he is he – is you're exactly right. He's, he's a, he is a brand manager. Yeah. And he's the brand manager who was gifted his brand by his father, which is a nice, you know, a nice leg up when you're in the brand management business. And so the argument that the set of skills that basically are, I know how to generate PR and all press is good press and I can, you know, I, I am the master of being on the front page of the New York tabloids. Yeah. Translates to nuclear brinkmanship is, yeah. I'm a little skeptical on that one. What was the Trump brand image exactly? I mean, Trump water, Trump steaks, Trump ice, Trump vodka, you know, God knows every, everything you could possibly imagine he was mm-hmm. selling, which – you know, setting aside, I want you to ask the question, what real billionaire wastes his time selling bad steak? <laughs> to me, the Trump brand image was he was he would proclaim that it was really high level luxury, but it's but it wasn't, right? I mean, you know, he had Donald Trump, Donald J. Trump suits. Trump himself never wore Donald Trump suits. He wore Brioni, right? Or something like that. Right. And so he was basically selling luxury to people who just, you know, didn't have the experience to know what real luxury looks like. And so that's a pretty niche market, but you can make if you are if you are appealing to fifteen percent of the American population for most companies, you are fantastically successful. And for your politician, you're a disaster. So everything about his experience is niche marketing. Is there any explanation, common folk explanation of Trump's motivations that you think we get wrong and perhaps infuriates you? So there are two parts of this. One is I I'm sympathetic to the argument that he went into this not expecting to win, mm-hmm. right? Like that doesn't seem implausible to me. But it's actually if, a smart move. Like if that was if that was his goal to extend his brand, that mm-hmm. actually is a smart move. Maybe that's us rational people, and this is a common logical trap applying our rationality to an irrational person. But that said, there does seem to be a lot of evidence, like you said, that he went into this not expecting to win. Right, and so this, but the second half of that is. He is clearly a narcissist. He, he is an, I mean, I'm not clinically trained, but it is not possible to be more narcissistic than Donald Trump, right? So it sort of leaps off the, off the, any experience with you. And if you are a narcissist who either doesn't really care that much about doing the job really, really well, or who lives in your own world to such an extent that it is impossible for you to imagine that you could not do the job really, really well. And I'm not sure which, you know, he might be either of those two, he might be both. But if you are that person, then being president of the United States has got to be the greatest gig on earth, yeah. right? The, the presidency is a huge burden if you are someone like just about every previous president, certainly Barack Obama or even George W. Bush, whatever your differences with him, who like deeply feels the responsibility that the entire world depends on what you do every single moment. That, you know, that job is a killer. But if you don't feel that burden – and what you do feel is, you know, every time I see my front name on the front page of the newspapers, it's awesome. Can you imagine a better job than president? Right. So his narcissism means that he breaks the presidency, but it also means that the presidency will never break him. Yeah. Every time people say, I think he's just going to get tired and quit. I'm like, right. have you met a narcissist? Yeah. Like the, this, this, isn't, this is not who this guy is. You know, he, this is the greatest boost, boost to his ego the world has ever known. But what about the anger and constant fury? I guess for rational people, non-narcissists, they look mm-hmm. at that and say, well, that'll take its toll. Why would a narcissist who thinks everything he does is awesome also be so furious all the time? So, so narcissistic rage is actually a hallmark of narcissists. Oh, that okay. is anything that challenges their self-concept of I am the greatest at everything uh, is one that they react to with extraordinary fury. Challenges to identity provoke anger, 
you know, in most people. But with a narcissist, because that sense of them as the great, most grand, greatest ever is so core to their identity, it's massively magnified. What about the explanation that, you know, his his strategy has always been to pit his underlings against each other? I mean, we mm-hmm. definitely see that in the White House, and we saw that on the TV show. Is that a good strategy, or is that just the thing that you say post hoc after your underlings stab each other in the back? So, so there are presidents who certainly have that tendency. Franklin Roosevelt famously sort of had all his people, and nobody really knew what he wanted. He was kind of the Sphinx-like figure. Yeah. And, and you know, to some extent, it worked for him. Uh, D- Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote a famous book, like Team of Rivals, where the Lincoln cabinet was this team of rivals. The, of course, what we need to forget, is, remember, is the team of rivals strategy worked because the person at the center of it was Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You know, and also start, look at the qualifications of the rivals. Yes. I mean, Stanton was the real deal, you know? <laughs> yes. Seward was the person who actually should have been president of the United States, right? Chase, is, Chase was the uh, supremely qualified secretary of the treasury. Everybody in that cabinet was – not everybody, but this was definitely a group of people who, you know, other than Jim Mattis, none of these guys has, you know, is in the same league as, as that group. So, you know, there are strategies that can work if you're Abraham Lincoln. Even Donald Trump says he's no Abraham Lincoln. So think about how large the gap is if even Donald Trump is willing to acknowledge that. That's right. right. Yes, with the exception <laughs> with maybe the ex- of Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. He, he does do the Lincoln carve out, yeah. So what does all this tell you, uh, you with your insight as to his style? What will what will the future hold for – we both agreed he's probably not going to quit. But what's it going to lead him and America to do? So we're going to find out whatever whatever Mueller's reports or does not report whether he's able to stop the investigation or not. You know, there's a lot of other stuff to find, and Democrats are going to find it. And so my prediction for the last two years of the first, you know, hope, hopefully first and last, but first Trump term, is we are going to find we're going to have this constant stream of more more of this stuff, but it won't be innuendos and maybes and gee, this looks sketchy. It's Oh, no, we actually know what happened, and it looks really, really bad. I like it. All right. So the book is indispensable when leaders really matter, and Mm -hmm. often they don't. And so my theory, and I asked you to talk about this, is I think we're going to look back. It seems impossible. Trump dominates the ether. Society is riven. You can't think of anything without thinking of the president. I think it's quite possible he'll be one of those leaders who didn't matter. So, I mean, that's the best case for the country, although the worst case for my theory, because my, my theory predicts, right, this guy is maximally unfiltered and he should be, he should matter a whole lot. Uh, I would happily be, you know, be wrong in this instance if that, if, if that for the good of the country. I, I'm, that's a good trade. I, I'd happily take it. But no, I think, I, I think the odds are he's going to matter a lot. And a lot of the damage that he's doing that we haven't, I think, fully processed is the sort of thing that, so we haven't, you know, invaded Iraq. So we haven't had the sort of immediate catastrophe that previous presidencies have, have hit us with. But a lot of the damage that he's doing is stuff that we're going to pay for for a generation. Yeah. The underlying basis of the global system, both political and financial, has been the belief that at the end of the day, the American government kind of knows what it's doing and will do the right thing. You know, No matter how screw up the Bush administration was, when the financial crisis happened, at the end of the day, the US government was able to intervene and actually recover from the crisis more effectively than any other, the, any other developed country. So people just had that as an underlying basis of trust, which was worth an untold amount to the United States. And that, I think, after four years of Trump will be gone. Nobody will believe that anymore. And the, the cost, the long-term costs of the opportunities foregone, the resources wasted, and those immigrants who will just – who will look at the United States and say, is that really a place I want to be that might elect a person like this? We may never be able to draw the line and say, oh, gee, this was – you know, this disaster was clearly because of Trump. And I hope that's true. If that's what we get out of this four years and we haven't, 
you know, gone to war with someone for some insane reason or something like that. We'll all be very lucky and we should be very grateful and we should all thank, you know, God and Jim Mattis probably in that order. Gertham Makunda is the author of Indispensable, When Leaders Really Matter, a research fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. For the gist, and the following message comes from Volvo. Remember when you could only listen to programs like this live on the radio? Someday you'll remember when people had to buy cars too. Introducing the new Volvo XC40, the car you can subscribe to. No down payment, no negotiation, one monthly payment, insurance and maintenance are all included. You can even upgrade to a new car after 12 months. Subscribe now to Care by Volvo, the revolutionary new way to own a car. And now the spiel. Rudy Giuliani was on the Sean Hannity show yesterday, and Rudy had a strategy. And he executed that strategy, and he wasn't tripped up, he wasn't interrupted, he wasn't misconstrued. He got his message out perfectly, and it seems that probably dooms his client. Here's the part you probably heard pretty much admitting to uh, paying off Stormy Daniels, uh, Giuliani did on behalf of Donald Trump, but I'll play this part again, and then I want to go back and let us both ponder the role that Sean Hannity played during this exceptional interview. Having something to do with paying some Stormy Daniels woman 130000 I mean, which is going to turn out to be perfectly legal. Uh, that money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So, so they, they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm and the president repaid it. Oh, I didn't know that he did. Now, you hear that, oh, he did at the end. That might go down as one of the most remarkable questions in journalism history. Because it is clear that Sean Hannity is not there to ask such questions. Or really, any questions at all. I mean, he'll promise that he'll ask a lot of questions. Oh, I have a lot of questions for you. I I can't. And he'll prod the conversation along. He'll say something like this. Explain. Or this. Explain where he lied which maybe sounds like a question. It's just actually more conversation. It shouldn't really count as questions. It's just Hannity's way of saying to his guest, who he just wants to give a platform to, go on, go on uninterrupted, spinning this tale of injustice, this grave injustice done to the president. If you think I'm exaggerating that that's what Sean Hannity is thinking, that's exactly what he's thinking. Is equal justice under the law at risk? Well, at least that counts as a question. Now, here's a question, or he promises that he's going to give a question. He acknowledges he's going to say a lot of things, but don't worry, it'll end in a question. I've got to now talk about something that I never thought I'd talk about, and this is going to be a long-winded lead-up to a question. He's right. What ensued was indeed a long lead-up, but I ask you to judge. Does it end in a question? An actual question? Mr. Mayor, were laws broken? Let's start with Hillary. It seemed for a second it was going to be a question, but then the little nudge. All right. Take a shift to Hillary. Why don't you? And guess what Rudy Giuliani's answer was? Yeah, he thinks that Hillary is criminal. So this entire interview has to be watched to be appreciated 
And the ending is unbelievable. So for 25 minutes, it was all the president is subject to a witch hunt and Comey was unfair and Comey's a liar. Both both sides of this interview asserting these things. We're lucky to have the president we have. I mean, at one point of all the traits that President Trump could be complimented for, here's the one that Giuliani chose to highlight. We are lucky that we have a president who can focus Yeah. So there it is. Softball, not even softballs, just a a bat measuring contest. Two aggrieved guys who worry about the country and know that Michael Cohen is top notch. And then Giuliani goes and says, oh, by the way, I got a scoop for you. The president lied about not paying Stormy Daniels. He did pay Stormy Daniels. And then Giuliani says, now this isn't a campaign violation, but he lays out the facts as he knows them and they add up to a campaign violation. And there's Sean Hannity. Sean, poor Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity, who never asked to be a journalist, but he's forced to ask, oh, he did? Oh, I didn't know that he did. Yeah, fascinating. Hannity even asked a decent enough follow-up. Do you know the president didn't know about this? Because it was clear that Hannity didn't know the statement was coming. He was shocked. He tried to dig out after two commercial breaks. He tried to uh, walk it back a little. But you know what? You can't put that Giuliani back in the bottle. It was a fun night over there on Fox. How did this happen? Who thought this was a smart thing to say? Why would Giuliani say this? For once in my life, Sean Hannity embodies my governing thought. Oh, I have a lot of questions for you. I, I can't. I, I... The Gist was produced by Pierre Bienname, who has quit the Sausalito non-extremists, the BFD. Just senior producer is Mary Wilson. She is no longer urging uric acid awareness. She just thinks that the PP has watered down its message. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, is looking for a place to put his passions. He thinks he might go with TBD. Hey, do you like Slate Plus? What, you don't listen? Go to slate.com slash gist plus and sign up for all the amazing features of Slate Plus. Like shows like this, without ads. Well, I know, you like my ads. The gist. We were looking to join the regulatory standards vulture patrol, you know, just to pass some sensible legislation regarding scavenging birds of prey, but the RSVP just would not get back to me. Oopra depra dupra, and thanks for listening. The Gist was brought to you by Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. You know Rocket Mortgage. It is very simple. It is very convenient. It's really powerful. Uh, you know, first home, 10th home. They're able to perform thousands of calculations in seconds. It's going to help you find the home loan option that is right for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash gist. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS. Consumeraccess.org number 3030.